He looks like he's hurting while he sings that song, doesn't he? Yeah, he sings that with passion. All right, so true confession, how many of you had hair like that in your younger days? Okay. <laughs> uh, somebody said this morning that uh, Anthony's brother Chris ought to be here. If you know Chris, he definitely he has hair like that now, so that we, he would fit right in. Okay. Good morning. I'm Pastor Vern. Welcome to this worship service. We are talking about love in this series. You know what really amazes me? I didn't realize this about that song until I was looking up a few things on it for preparation for this. The Everly Brothers sang that song. Now, some of you are old enough to understand or maybe know the Everly Brothers. Putting them with Nazareth, is that's kind of a, that's a real interesting mix right there. Um, so anyway, that song has been done a hundred times or more by different groups, and uh, it communicates something that we all know, we all experience it, that there are times love hurts, right? There are going to be times in our life when, when out of love, because we love, we are going to experience pain. That's a reality, and that's what they're singing about. Love hurts, love scars, love wounds, and mars any heart, not tough enough or strong enough to take a lot of pain. So we're talking about love in this series. We're talking about God's love in particular. Today we're going to be talking about um, how God's love for us caused God pain, caused God suffering. We're going to be in Isaiah 53 if you want to open up a Bible there. We'll be there in a few minutes. Let me begin with this quote from C.S. Lewis. I've shared this before, but he says it so well on this topic. C.S. Lewis says, To love it all is to be vulnerable. Love anything, and your heart will be wrung and possibly broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give it to no one, not even an animal. Wrap it carefully round with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in the casket or coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable impenetrable, irredeemable. To love is to be vulnerable. I think Lewis hits it right on the nail head with that, right? We can choose not to love. We can choose to close ourselves off from caring about people or anything, right? But putting our heart in that cold, dark casket isn't going to protect it. It's going to change it. It's going to cause our hearts to become unbreakable, unfeeling. And that's not what we're made for. God has made us for human relationships. God has made us to love and to want to be loved. He's made us to share his love. We are made in the image of God. And being made in the image of God, who is love, the Bible tells us that, read at the very first week of this series in 1 John 4, God is love. It says a couple of times, because God is love and made us in his image, we are made to love. We are people who are made to love and also to want to be loved. But the reality is, like we're talking about today, sometimes love is going to hurt. Unrequited love hurts. When you love somebody very deeply and they don't have feelings for you, that hurts. Insensitive remarks from someone we love hurts. I, you know, I, I love doing weddings, especially for young couples who are madly in love with each other. 
but I always ask them, have you had any arguments or disagreements yet? <laughs> because if you haven't, you will, right? There will be some point in your life together where you're gonna, you're gonna say something or do something, you're gonna cause each other some pain, and you have to know how to respond to that, how to deal with that pain that comes. Parents, we don't have children, right, without understanding that our children at some point are going to disappoint us, they're gonna hurt us, there's gonna be something that happens in the course of our lives together where our love for others, DL, why are you smiling? You have a daughter standing, sitting right there next to you. I, and now you're laughing, I don't understand. <laughs> I won't, sorry, I'll leave that alone. But, but it's true, isn't it, parents? That, that, you know, and children, you don't even get a choice about having parents, but your parents are gonna hurt you sometimes. It's just the nature of human relationships that we're going to be thoughtless or selfish or insensitive at some point. But there's other ways that love hurts. Watching someone we love act in a self-destructive way causes us pain. Losing someone that we love. Uh, I watched my mom progress through dementia. That was hard. It hurt to watch her. You know, to, our relationship wasn't the same because she couldn't remember who I was and who other family members were. That's hard. That's painful to watch her go through the, uh, to have watched her go through that. Losing someone we love to death is obviously a very painful thing. Walking through a loved one's painful experience with them Maybe it's cancer that a person is suffering, and we're walking through that with them, and, and that hurts, it causes us pain. So there's lots of ways, just like Lewis says, if you love somebody, you're gonna be vulnerable to pain. You're gonna be vulnerable to feeling hurt at times. But God did make us in his image, and he makes us people who need to love and be loved. You know, God uh, was not taken by surprise by our disobedience. When Adam and Eve disobeyed God, rebelled against him in the garden, after he had given them everything, right? He had made everything for them, a beautiful place for them to live and to be and to enjoy uh, everything that he had for them, uh, and then they rebel against him. Do you think that that caused God some pain, some suffering? Do you think that he grieved that? And yet he knew that from the very beginning. He knew when he chose to create humanity that humanity would rebel against him, would turn against him, disobey him, cause him that pain and that grief. It didn't take him by surprise. And our rebellion and our disobedience now doesn't take God by surprise. When God sent his son Jesus to pay for our sins, he knew that Jesus was going to get hurt. He knew that Jesus was going to uh, suffer for that. He could have said, I'm not going to do it. I'm not sending the son that I love to this people who will disobey me, who will hurt me, who will turn against him and betray him. I'm not going to do it. But you see, God could not not do it out of love because he loves us so much knowing the price that Jesus was going to have to pay he sent him anyway because he loves us and that's really everything that I want to focus on today is about that that God sent Christ to us knowing he would suffer but he sent him out of love for us what Jesus endured in pain and suffering he endured out of love for us so we're going to look at that through Isaiah 53. I'm going to read through uh, this chapter of the Bible. Isaiah is an amazing book, uh, and, and I just want to give you a little bit of background in case you're not familiar with it. The book of Isaiah, Isaiah lived, the prophet Isaiah, about 700 years before Jesus walked the earth. Uh, and, uh, and so the things that we read about in Isaiah 53 are a prophecy, I believe, of the coming Messiah who is Jesus. And I think you'll see that clearly as we walk through the passage. But the other thing 
thing I want to let you know about Isaiah, one of the things that's really cool is that um, it, in uh, 1947, you may be aware of the Dead Sea Scrolls, some young shepherd boys uh, accidentally discovered a, a uh, containers of scrolls that had been written in the first century, the time of Jesus, and preserved in these caves. 1947, they discovered them, and one of the books that was almost there entirely was the scroll of Isaiah. Now, what's cool about that is that until 1947, the most recent copy of Isaiah that was in existence had come from about 1000 AD. So now you have a scroll that was written in the first century that you can compare to what we have today that was based on, uh, or, or the, the, the most recent copy being 1000 AD they are exactly or almost exactly the same, which tells us that the book of Isaiah was very carefully preserved through the centuries, and what we are reading is exactly what Jesus would have been familiar with, okay, at the time that he walked the earth. So it's a wonderful book, and, and we're going to get into it right now. Here's the first point. Jesus did not come to us like a Hollywood hero, but as a suffering servant. Listen to what it says in verses 2 and 3 of Isaiah 53. He grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. Now again, I believe he is referring to the Messiah, Jesus. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain, like one from whom people hide their faces. He was despised and we held him in low esteem. Back in chapter 52, verse 13, this person is referred to as the servant. This is God's servant, the Messiah, being referred to here. He is the Savior who rescues helpless people from their sins, the Messiah, but he doesn't come looking like a Hollywood hero. He comes looking like a suffering servant. That's how many people refer to this passage of Scripture. Do you have a favorite Hollywood hero? Do you have somebody that you really like, you know, you like to watch uh, because you just really enjoy uh, the way they act or, or the, the movies that they're in, right? Don't our Hollywood heroes kind of all have a type? You know, they're all courageous, they're all competent, you know, they're all, uh, and most, most are not they all pretty good looking, right? Male or female, right? Aren't they like people who are kind of attractive? And yet the Bible says that when Jesus came, who is our hero, right? He came as one that people really wouldn't have paid that much attention to if you're walking down the street. If you pass him on the sidewalk, you wouldn't turn and go, wow, what a great looking guy, right? He, was in, he probably wasn't that unattractive. He just was a regular looking person like most of us, right? We're just regular looking people. And that's what Jesus was. He didn't come to us with any particular physical attractiveness that would have pulled people to him. What pulled people to Jesus was what? His love for them. That's what attracted people to Christ. Well, uh, moving on, the next thing I want to say is what Jesus endured for us was necessary, chosen, expected, and completed. If you look back at that first uh, passage of Scripture we read, it says that this person would be despised, rejected, he would suffer, be familiar with pain. In fact, uh, he would be so despised that people wouldn't even want to look at him. Uh, and, and much of what we read in Isaiah 53 here is going to make us think of the cross. But think of Jesus going to the cross and how it would have been very difficult to look at him because of the beatings that he took and the suffering he endured. So what Jesus endured, though, was, first of all, necessary to deal with our sin. Let's read 53 verses 4 to 6. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, 
He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. You know, sin, that's really what sin is, is going astray. Sin is going astray from what God desires for us. It's going away from God's will for us. It's turning, as it says here in this passage, to our own way and doing our own thing and not listening to God. And that's what transgression is. Transgression is rebelling against authority. And we have all transgressed. We have all disobeyed God's authority in our lives. And for that, the Bible says that we deserve to be punished. We deserve to be disciplined for turning against God. But then Jesus comes, and he takes on himself the pain and the suffering that we deserve for our sins. He is, it says, pierced for our transgressions and crushed for our iniquities. Jesus was literally pierced, wasn't he? When he went to the cross, they drove nails through his wrists to hold his arms there. They drove nails through his feet to hold his feet on the cross. He was literally pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed. He was whipped, as you know, uh, and, and uh, whipped with whips, cords that had stones embedded in them so that his flesh was torn. He was crushed for our iniquities. We can't help but see Jesus on the cross when we read these words. A great exchange, therefore, takes place. Jesus takes the punishment we deserve, and by faith in Jesus, we get what? Well, the passage says we get peace and healing. We get peace with God through faith in Christ, and we get healed of our sinfulness and our disobedience. What Jesus went through out of love was necessary in order for us to get that peace and to be healed. John Stott is a, was a theologian, and, and he put this succinctly. He said, For the essence of sin is man substituting himself for God, while the essence of salvation is God substituting himself for man. That's the great exchange that took place. So Jesus needed to do this in order for our sins to be punished. Secondly, what Jesus endured was chosen by him. It wasn't forced on him. Jesus did this voluntarily. Listen to what it says in verse 7. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shears is silent, so he did not open his mouth. No one forced Jesus to go through the beatings he took or the mocking or the crucifixion. At any point, he could have stopped it with a word from his mouth, but he did not open his mouth. He could have called down an army of angels to destroy his, his enemies. He could have simply walked away from them like he did in Nazareth. You remember in Nazareth, his towns, his, the people that he grew up with uh, turned against him and they took him to the edge of a cliff wanting to throw him off the cliff. And it says that Jesus wouldn't allow them to do that. He just walked through them and walked away. He could have done that in this case. He could have brought up a violent wind to blow his enemies away. Do you remember how when they were on the Sea of Galilee, there was a violent wind and his disciples woke him up and he just spoke a word and the winds calmed? Well, Jesus could have done the reverse, right? He could have created a tornado and blown his enemies all over the map if he wanted to. But he didn't do that. He didn't do any of that. He chose to voluntarily walk through everything that he went through for us out of love. In fact, the Bible says in Luke 9, as the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, in other words, to go to the cross, to die, and then to ascend, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. Resolutely, fixedly. He went there purposefully, knowing full well what was coming. 
When they came to arrest Jesus in the garden, you remember what happened there? Judas came and he betrayed him and, and his followers took out a sword and they began to fight for him and Jesus said, stop. And he willingly went with them. He did that out of love for us. He chose to. So Jesus uh, did things voluntarily. He did what was necessary and what he endured was expected by him. When Jesus set out on his mission of preaching and healing, he knew that there would be those who thought he was nothing more than a carpenter's son. He knew that some would consider him crazy. He knew that some would think he was working for the devil. He knew that Peter would deny knowing him when he was arrested, and he knew that Jesus would, Judas excuse me, would betray him for 30 silver coins. He knew he'd be spit upon, lied about, mocked, beaten, whipped, and crucified. He knew all of that was coming. And still he went on. Jesus tells a story to uh, a group of Pharisees and teachers uh, called the parable of the tenants. It's in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. If something is in all three of those gospels, you know that it's important. God wanted each of those writers to include this in the gospel. Well, the parable of the tenants is about a man, Jesus says, who uh, owned a vineyard, and he, he uh, created this wonderful place, this wonderful vineyard, and he left it in charge of some other men, and he went away. And after a while, he decided he'd like to reap some of the fruit from that vineyard. So he sent someone to retrieve some of it. And when that man got there, uh, the people who were now running the vineyard, they beat him up and they sent him away. So the owner sent another man to the vineyard and they beat him up and he sent another man and he kept sending people to the vineyard to retrieve some of what was his. But the people who were now managing just kept beating them up. And finally, the owner says, I know what I'll do. I'll send my son. They'll respect my son. And when the son got there, Jesus says, what did they do to him? They killed him and said, we'll take over the vineyard ourselves. You see, Jesus told this story and he knew exactly what was going to happen to him. And that was what he was telling through the story. One of the uh, authors that I, I love, Gary Thomas, wrote a book called Sacred Marriage. I've used it often in premarital counseling. And in another place, he says this about God's love. He says, God knows that answering our cries for mercy and saving our souls will cause him more suffering than 10,000 women in labor. We will betray him. We will resist him. We will fall away on many levels. He will pursue us. He will discipline us, accept us back, and forgive us. He will ache as we bring untold misery into our lives through our disobedience because now he is watching a daughter or a son ruin their worlds. Every act of rebellion, every unkind word we utter to others, every self-sabotage is like one more dagger thrust in his side. We're his children. He can't stop caring. I read the first and last words of that passage, and they strike me. God knows, but he can't stop caring. This is the love of God for each of us. Jesus did what was necessary, what was chosen, what was expected, and he completed it. And by that, I mean he saw it through. He did what he accomplished. He accomplished what he set out to do. Verses 8 and 9 of Isaiah 53. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. Yet who of his generation protested? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgression of my people, he was punished. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Who of his generation protested? Well, there was that protest in the garden when Peter tried to attack the, the, the troops with his sword. But after that, who stood up for Jesus? Who, who defended Jesus? Who came to Jesus' rescue? Nobody. 
Nobody. In fact, you know what's ironic? The one person that said anything positive about Jesus in the course of his trial and his crucifixion was Pilate. Pilate said, I don't see anything about this man that makes him guilty. But Pilate went with the people. He did the politically expedient thing, and he had Jesus crucified. When the people were given a choice between Jesus and Barabbas, you know, they chose Barabbas to be released. Jesus was indeed cut off from the land of the living. He went to his death on the cross. He was given a grave. It says he was buried with the wealthy. The tomb he was buried in was owned by a wealthy man, Joseph of Arimathea. And he did all of that. He went to his death and he was buried, even though he had not been violent himself or deceitful. Finally, what Jesus endured, he endured so that many could be justified. We'll finish reading Isaiah 53. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring and prolong his days. And the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will give him a portion among the great, and he will divide the spoils with the strong, because he poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors. For he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. My righteous servant will justify many, it says, and because of what Jesus was willing to do, many have been and will be justified. That is made right before God by faith in Christ. These verses speak to the resurrection of Jesus. Just a minute ago, we read that he was cut off from the land of the living and assigned a grave with the wicked. Yet here we see and we read that he will see the light of life and will see his offspring. And who are his offspring? The offspring of Jesus are all of us who put our faith and trust in him. We are the offspring. We are the children uh, who are children of God by what Jesus has done for us, paying for our sins on the cross. It all comes to the cross. All of it comes to the cross. God's greatest expression of his love for us is seen at the cross. And Chris Tomlin wrote a song by that, and I invite you to listen to it now. streams of grace flow deep and wide where all the love I've ever found comes like a flood comes flowing down at the cross at the cross I surrender my life, I'm in awe of you, I'm in awe of you, where your love ran red and my sin wash white, I owe all to you.
There's a place where sin and shame are powerless. Where my heart has peace with God and forgiveness. Where all flowing down at the cross at the cross I surrender my life I'm in of you I'm in of you where your love ran red and my sin washed white I owe to you I surrender my life. I'm in of you. I'm in of you. Where your love ran red and my sin washed white. I owe all to you. 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 No greater symbol of love, in particular God's love for us, than the cross. Jesus knew exactly what he was in store for when he came to the earth. He'd be rejected, mistreated, abused, but he came anyway out of love. So what might God be saying to us this morning we've been thinking about Christ's love and suffering. Well, let me suggest some things. First of all, appreciate the depth of Jesus' love for you. Just appreciate all that he went through. And remember that he did that because he loves you personally. Be willing to move in the direction of loving those who are hurting. If we are seeking to live like Jesus, then, then it's imperative that we look around us to see who's hurting and how God might want us to move in the direction of loving them. Don't succumb to so easily to petty grievances. When you think about what Jesus suffered, doesn't it make you think, boy, sometimes I get impatient awfully quick. Sometimes I get irritated way too fast. Move on from false expectations that love always means easy. That's a cultural thing right? Well, if you love me, you should know what I'm thinking. (laughs) I don't always, right? If you love me, you wouldn't do things like that. Well, you know, I'm an imperfect human being. Love is not easy. Love takes work. Love requires something of us. And then look to Jesus to help you with your suffering and pain. 
he wants to. Jesus suffered so that he could relieve your suffering. The most important application of this, of course, is if you haven't accepted Christ as your Savior and Lord, if you haven't received for yourself what he did for you on the cross, then that's where you're at. That's what you need to consider in this moment. Are you ready? Are you ready to confess your need for a Savior to forgive your sins? If you are, well, let's just take a moment and we'll pray. And I'll suggest what you might pray, but feel free to pray to God as you choose. Let's pray. Lord, I know that I, <laughs> I have been disobedient. I have rebelled. I have gone my own way. I have turned away from you. And I know for that, I deserve your punishment. I, I don't deserve a relationship with you because I have betrayed you in my own way so many times. But I believe what you have said to us in your word that you sent your son Jesus to die on the cross to pay for all of my disobedience. And I tell you in this moment that I want, I want your forgiveness. I want Jesus to be my Lord, to be my Savior. And I believe that after he died, Jesus rose from the dead and that by faith in him, I can have eternal life. I can be in heaven someday. And I believe that through Jesus, you will send your Holy Spirit to help me live in obedience to you more and more. And I thank you, Lord, for all of this. I thank you that you were willing to suffer for me. I thank you for the new life that you give me. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have given your life to Jesus today for the first time, or if you've recommitted your life to Christ today, I would love to have you find one of these cards in the seats around you and, and indicate that. And if you would, let us know who you are so that we can encourage you in your walk with Christ. You can drop these in the boxes on your way out. They're on the, on the walls. Um, if you prefer, you can just email one of us, Pastor John, John at NorthgateFMC.com. I'm Vern at NorthgateFMC.com. DL at NorthgateFMC.com. Just let us know. We'd like to encourage you in your walk with Christ. Let's pray. Lord, we do thank you for what you have done for us. And we can't begin to repay you. We know that. But we do offer ourselves to you. And we invite you to help us to know how to serve you well, how to love you and others well. And we pray that you will increase our ability to love. We surrender ourselves to you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Anthony and I had a little conversation about that last line last night. Happy all the day, right? Kind of doesn't really fit with sometimes love is going to hurt and suffer. <laughs> We're going to suffer, right? But we know that the happiness that's being talked about in that song is, is the joy that's with us regardless of what we're going through in this life because 
Our burdens have been rolled away at the cross. Jesus has come into our life. Jesus is with us, whatever we're going through. And that's the joy that we experience. And that's the happiness that's being talked about here. If you stand, I'll give you the takeaway and the benediction. Thank you for being here to worship with us today. It's always good to be with you. The takeaway is simply from Ephesians 5, Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. We are the church. All who belong to Jesus are part of the church. So you can put your name in there. Christ loved Paul. Christ loved Susan. Christ loved your name and gave himself up for you. He did that out of love. And I pray this week that you will experience in full the love of God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. 